0: Hello and welcome to today's conversations on leadership, powered by Life University. I'm Dr. Jill LaMarche, your host. You know, as we do every week, I pick a leadership quote that I believe is fits the guest that I have on the podcast. And this quote is from obviously a famous football coach. Has nothing to do with who our guest is, but I thought the quote was very applicable to who she is. Leadership is a matter of having people look at you and gain confidence seeing how you react. If you're in control, they're in control. I've had the opportunity to observe this lady at different functions around Atlanta over the the last couple of years, I think maybe three times. And I can tell you that she definitely exhibits this particular quote, she exhibits these traits. She behaves like a leader, she shows up like a leader, and she shows up ready to serve. So I'm really, really thrilled today to welcome Council General Nadia Theodore, who was appointed as Council General of Canada in Atlanta in September of 2017. As Council General, she is the head of Canada's diplomatic representation in the Southeast United States. Council General Theodore has made advancing inclusion in the workplace a core pillar of her mandate, both as an executive in the Canadian Public Service and as a Council General in in Atlanta. She is committed to making sure that the public sector is included in the global conversation on diversity and inclusion within organizations and the deliberate work to build inclusive teams, including and especially at senior levels. Council General Theodore, thank you so much for joining us on today's Conversations on Leadership.
1: Thank you so much, Gilles. I should like to say bonjour. Comment
0: bonjour, ça va? Bonjour, <laughs> At least I least when we get to see each other in Atlanta, we get to speak French for a bit, don't we?
1: I, I know, right? So that we don't get rusty. <laughs> exactly.
0: But well, again, such a pleasure and an honor to have you join us today.
1: It is a pleasure for me to be, be speaking with you and to be able to interact virtually with all of your guests. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Well, thank you. So let's get right into it. Uh, my first question to you would be, when did you first know that you wanted your livelihood to be based on the desire to serve others in the work that you do?
1: Ah, So I would probably say that I knew from a very early age that I wanted to serve others. Um, I grew up with two parents who were public servants and who were also, um, as we, you know, the buzzword today is servant leaders who are also servant leaders in the community. My mom was very involved in our community back home in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and was known as the kind of go-to person in the community to help collect clothes for the less privileged, to cook meals for my you know, high school and university friends. So this idea of service to community, however that community is defined, was something that I grew up. Um, knowing that I wanted to do. And as as I progressed in my my educational career and then my professional career, that took on different forms. So at first, you know, I went to law school thinking that I was going to serve by becoming a lawyer, Um, realized that that's that's not exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, And then I actually got a summer job in the federal public service, And it was me observing the leadership at the Canadian Revenue Agency, which was where I was working at the time, uh, that really showed me that, ah, this is how service is going to look for me. Um, This is how I'm going to serve my community by helping to create public policy um, that's going to serve the whole of a country. And then when I joined the Federal Foreign Service, um, you know, the, the equivalent in the United States of, of the State Department, um, it became even clearer to me that I could combine this idea of representation of one's country with the idea of public service. So, uh, so it was a progression that led me to knowing that this is exactly what I wanted to do and this is how I was going to serve.
0: Oh, what a beautiful experience! You know, to, to hear you say, you know, you saw, you saw your parents. You maybe picked your mo- your mother as a bit of a model, and then as you entered the workforce, you had other discoveries that led you in the same direction that you had experienced as a young lady.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Maybe maybe it's confirmation bias, but it ended up pe- being pretty good.
0: <laughs> well, that's good. So you know, you mentioned your mother, but can you name another person who had a tremendous impact on you? As a leader, maybe someone who has been a mentor along the way. And yes. why and how did that person impact your life, allowing you to become the leader that you've become?
1: Yeah, so I, um, there is, there, I have been lucky because there are several people. Uh, and whenever I get the opportunity, I always give them a shout out and name them because there have been several people who have allowed me to be and get to where I am. Um, Christina Hogan, who is a deputy minister, um, in our federal public service in Canada, uh, and for whom I worked for Timothy Sargent, another deputy minister that I worked for Ailish Campbell, who is our chief trade commissioner, um, who is, and continues to be a great mentor of mine, Bruce Christie, who was my boss when I served in Geneva, Switzerland. So I have had, and the list could go on and on and on. Um, including people who worked for me, who I consider to be mentors, Carolee Stevens, um, so many people. Uh, But there is one lady I have to say, and many of your guests across the United States who who may maybe follow the Canada-U.S. relationship know her. Her name is Kirsten Hillman, and she is currently Canada's ambassador to the United States, based in Washington, D.C., And I worked with her in Geneva, Switzerland, and then worked for her when she was the chief chief negotiator for the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations, and I was one of her deputy chief negotiators. And she, I have to say, is the single one person who, from the time that I met her, and worked alongside her in geneva modeled to me what leadership should be and and all the warm and fuzzy things right she uh, you know she's she's a warm person she is very empathetic um all of those things but to me the one thing that has been most instrumental for me um being in her presence and learning from her is the fact that she is a person that has always given me hard advice. So she has never shied away from saying to me, you know what, Nadia, this is what I think that you should be doing differently. This is what I think that you need to uh, focus on that you might not be focusing on in order to get to the next step. And to me, that is the hard part of leadership. All the warm and fuzzy things. I mean, if you have it in your in your dna to be a leader the warm and fuzzy things are relatively easy right it's easy to motivate people it's easy to be warm and empathetic if you were a warm and empathetic person but giving that hard feedback and being honest with people even when it's difficult um is difficult <laughs> and, I, and but, that, but that
0: is the true value of mentorship is it not
1: absolutely 100 percent. and she did that from the very beginning from the very beginning she would be the person that said you know when we're in meetings with stakeholders, you look at your phone a lot. And I know that you're doing it because you're trying to put out other fires that are happening. Just little things, right? I know you're trying to put out fires, but it might give the impression that you're not listening. So I would if I were you, I would put, put your phone down. I'm your boss, and I'm in the room with you, so you know, you don't need to look at your phone. Little things like that, right? Well, how did
0: that feel? The first time she said that, Oh my how gosh. did that feel?
1: Can I tell you that I wanted to be swallowed up by the by the chair that I was sitting on <laughs> and disappear into nothingness, especially because, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, well, absolutely. Like, I'm not playing Jenga on the phone. You know, I'm <laughs> answering emails and trying to, you know, put out some fires and trying to move us along and, you know. And so you think to yourself, "Well, I'm trying to do something good, and this person is looking at it as looking at it as a negative." And so you feel horrible, right? Um, you feel horrible. But and again, how quickly?
0: How quickly did you start appreciating those comments instead of feeling horrible? As a mentee.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I think that I, if I'm honest with myself, I think I probably, in the moment, felt horrible, and then thought, well, she, you know, she's too senior to understand all of the things that I need to do, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't get it, the li- you know, the little people that are doing all the work, right, <laughs> you know, she, you know, you know, if I didn't answer all these emails, then we would be 10 steps behind, so, but I was, um, I don't know what the right word is, but I was smart enough, I guess, and humble enough, to take the advice relatively quickly. And even, and and this is to me, actually, you know what, Jill, to me, this is the trick, that I decided to take the advice, even if I didn't fully believe it at the time. I decided, you know what, she is my mentor, she is my boss, and she has asked me to do something, and so I'm going to do it. Even if I don't fully 100 buy into it, I'm going to do it. And by doing it, it was very quickly that I realized, oh, my gosh, she is right, in fact. Um, and, you know, this is years later. I I know 100% that she was right, you know, in fact. So I think that that is also a good lesson that we can all kind of take away, that sometimes you do have to listen to the advice and, and trust that it's going to take you forward and move you to the next level, even if you don't necessarily 100% believe that it is, you know, the best advice or, or that the person knows exactly what they're talking about. Trust that they do. You know, they're telling you for a reason. They're in a the leadership position. Trust Trust them. And you might soon find out that they were more right than you maybe thought at the beginning.
0: What a, what a wonderful example that you're giving to our audience of something that they could look at correcting themselves because in the virtual world that we live in, I know personally, I've been to a lot of meetings where people are doing that around the table and that's exactly the thought that I have is they're not even paying attention. So good for you for picking up on it and making it happen. And uh, also the, the qualities, you know, you shared two qualities, that she had, you talked about the warm and fuzzy and she was empathetic. Sometimes people think that leaders have to be hard, but no, we don't have to be hard, do we? Empathy is a key to connecting with another human being so that because she was empathetic, you are more likely to accept and receive the hard advice, which is the other mentorship quality that you talked about.
1: Exactly, 100%. And I think that her empathetic spirit and her, um, her deep knowledge, right, she was, she's very well-respected and, we, and, and, I, and I respect her, um, allowed me to take in that advice. Again, regardless of whether in the back of my mind for a while I was thinking, well, you know, she doesn't really get, she'll see that once I'm not looking at my phone, you know, less will get done and she'll ask me to pick it back up. <laughs> so other
0: than these qualities that we've mentioned already in the first few minutes, Uh, What's another characteristic that you believe every leader should possess?
1: Well, listen, so this is maybe a a counterintuitive, or or maybe not, but it, it, it was counterintuitive for me until quite recently. So I think that one of the most important characteristics is having thick skin. And I say that because as a leader, and this is one of my favorite quotes. And I actually now have it up um, in, in my office. Um, I, I printed it out and framed it. And it says, if you want to please everyone, don't be a leader. Sell ice cream.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> and I love
1: it because especially for people, I tell people all the time, you know, um, I uh, suffer from people pleasing mentality. Um, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And as a people pleaser, that's who's also a leader. Sometimes, you know, you get caught up in wanting to please everybody and have everybody like you and make decisions that everybody is going to be rah-rahing over. Right? You you have that as your as your barometer as a leader, and it's impossible for everybody to be one hundred percent behind every decision that you make. And there will always be people who think you could have done it better or differently. Um, And and that is the nature of running an organization and leading teams. And if you don't, and and, you know, and we can see that right now as we are dealing with COVID-19, I think about some of the leaders in Canada, our our chief um, public health officer, our consular teams around the world, you know, for every, kudos they get they get somebody else who is saying oh they you know they didn't react fast enough or they gave the wrong advice they're backtracking you know so you have to know in your heart that you are doing what you believe is best based on the consultations and the information that you have gathered and then have that thick skin um be able to drive vision and impact and culture By, again, leading by your example, but also by understanding that you will likely inspire and motivate the majority of your employees if you're doing it correctly, but not all of them, right? We always talk about the importance of engagement with employees and setting a mission and vision and expectation, and that will allow you to bring everybody along But we very rarely talk about the fact that there are usually in every organization, a couple of people who we might not convince, who might not get brought along. That despite your empathy and your encouragement and your vision and goal setting, you know, they aren't interested. And that could be for a variety of reasons. Um, But you have to make sure that you don't give those people too much energy because you risk setting back your own organization And you risk alienating the majority of your employees who are actually along with you for the vision and and, and the ride. Um, So it does take a certain amount of thick skin to be able to do that.
0: It certainly does. You know, great advice. In situations like that, I have a tendency to quote the Pareto principle, you know, the 80-20 rule. Focus on on the 80%, on what's going to happen 80% of the time and let the rest go. Um, So let's segue to a little different question. And instead of talking about you personally or individuals, let's look at organizations. Mm -hmm. As an organization gets larger, there can be a tendency for the institution, if you like, the organization itself, to dampen and for the inspiration to start to disappear. How do you keep this from happening in your organization as you lead your entire team? Mm
1: -hmm. That's a good question, especially particularly relevant for me, right? Because we work for the government of Canada. So, you know, approximately 250,000 employees uh, around Canada and around the world, obviously, right? Because we have representation abroad. And then in in Global Affairs Canada, so again, you know, that's the equivalent of your State Department. Um, Actually, it's a combination of your State Department, USAID, and your United States Trade Representative, actually, it's all rolled up into one department for us. Um, there's about six, 6,000 employees around, yeah, 6,500. And so, you know, coupled with the fact that we do have offices abroad, and that for those offices abroad, we employ Canadians and locally engaged people, um, you know, that's a lot, right? And, and so that's a lot of machinery and a lot of institution that can, in my organization, it really shows up as people not feeling connected to the center um, and therefore not being necessarily connected to the vision. And then not bothering maybe to, um, to be creative, right? Really just waiting for direction and being very good at execution but not so good, as you said, um, with this idea of inspiration and creating inspiration themselves in their daily jobs. And what I do, and I've gotten better at this, I think, over the last several years, is I'm just very honest with people about it, right? So for as many times as people say to me, what do you think that we should do, boss? I turn it right back at them. Well, what do you think you should do? I'm actually going to do exactly what you think you should do. Give me, give me a couple recommendations and we're going to go with one of your recommendations. And so people know that not only am I trying to get them to think of ideas, but we're actually going to execute one of their ideas, right? So it helps for them to, to, to become inspired and to continue to, um, to innovate, I suppose, and 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 to and to inspire change and innovation in the organization, because they know that that their ideas are being picked up on and used in the daily work that we are doing.
0: And um, I see that as a great leadership quality, because what you're doing is you're engaging your team and you're inviting them to be active participants. And if they're active participants, they're going to be more inspired. And so exactly you know, exactly. Share? Leaders don't have to tell people what to do. Leaders need to bring people
1: up. Exactly. And, you know, and oftentimes what we need to do is get out of the way, right? The more that we get out of the way and let people do what they do best, the more that people will demonstrate to you what they do best. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're so absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time, right? Sometimes people aren't used to using that muscle, especially in large organizations um, that are, you know, that have a, a history and are known for being less agile. But it's important, especially in large organizations, to, to make people um, and to encourage people to have their own voice and have their own ideas and for organizations to use those ideas
0: absolutely so in closing uh, the final question for for our time together today what advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time
1: ah uh, i would say to be kind to yourself Ooh. it's a big yeah you know it's a lot and i think that we talk about all the great things about leadership And we also talk a lot about um, what bad leadership looks like, right? There's a lot out there about employees and how difficult it is for them to be um, in an organization where the leadership is poor. Um, But we don't often talk about sometimes how difficult it is to be a leader, even when you are a good leader or striving to be a good leader. It, It is a lot. It's a lot. And it takes a lot of mental and emotional capacity. Um, and you won't always get it right every time. And I always say to people, you know, not everybody is going to want to want you to succeed at it. And that takes a lot of energy as well. So you got to be kind to yourself. You got to be kind to yourself. Take it one step at a time.
0: Wow, that is a fantastic closing comment to the time that we've had to share together. It's, it's brief, but it has been powerful. So Consul General Theodore, thanks so much for joining us on today's Conversations on Leadership. I know that our audience is going to get a lot of activity when they choose to follow your advice. Thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule. I really appreciate you being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Look forward to the next time.
0: Thank you.